0: She's designed, led, and managed major clinical and non-clinical research trials, supervised several PhD students, and has published over 30 research papers in leading peer-reviewed sports medicine journals. She's regularly invited to speak at national international academic and professional symposia, writes for sports magazines, and serves as an expert reviewer for many scientific peer-reviewed journals. Claire's research and teaching interests include the influences of exercise, training and rehabilitation on dynamic joint stability. Neuromuscular and musculoskeletal performance. Her work also focuses on assessing neuromuscular function, optimally developing specialized rehabilitation protocols for enhancing function performance. Claire's area of expertise means that she neatly spans the gap between physiology of condition and physiotherapeutic rehabilitation. She founded her company Get Back to Sport to enable the transference of research findings into enhanced clinical practice and has developed a teaching portfolio that has an international reach. Uh, some background, so I'm really looking forward to getting into this. Thank you very much for joining me today, Claire.
1: Well done I'm getting through that drivel. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness.
0: I mean, that's that's quite some 20, uh, 20 years of active work condensed into what, a couple of minutes there. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a while. Yeah, more, more, I don't know how many beyond twenty it is, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun to get here.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I mean. I've been following you for a while, Claire, like you put out some great information from the strength and distance standpoint and how it relates to therapists and how they can go about implementing the practice. So you're someone I really wanted to sit down and chat to. Um, Obviously, I've given a bit of a snapshot there of, you know, your career, some of the big things you've done, where you're active as well now. But for anyone who's listening who hasn't come across you yet, Claire, you know, can you just tell us about where your career started out and what's brought you to this point?
1: Uh, Sure. Yeah, it's... it's, um... It's probably not quite a typical path. Certainly, when I started out, uh, so I was really, really interested in sports. That was what I was passionate about when I was younger. Uh, so I did a sports science degree, um, and then towards the end of that degree, um, so I, I was really interested in exercise physiology. And then towards the end of that degree, uh, we were introduced to kinesiology, and um, mm-hmm. that's where my interests were really piqued. Um, but at that time. There weren't really, maybe there are like two jobs in uh, exercise physiology and sport in the entire country. So that gives you a bit of an idea of how how old I am. Um, so I was so fortunate. I've, I've been blessed as throughout my career of, of meeting some just utterly brilliant people, and I stand on their shoulders and wobble off from time to time. Absolutely. But uh, so I, I met. Um, so I was introduced to kinesiology and. In amongst that, I met an orthopedic surgeon called Mr. Diaries, who's um, now retired, but his, his uh, reputation is you know phenomenal in the, in the world of orthopedics and, and knee surgery. And I went straight from undergraduate to PhD, um, exploring um, this model for dynamic joint stability, potentially what we can do to think about rehabilitation and optimizing that or improving it and and i'm actually a neuromuscular physiologist um kind of if that is a i think but you know my interest was principally in neuromuscular physiology so not just strength but what informs force production and fast force production as well so if we think about um injuries they happen very very quickly so we need to stabilize the joints very very quickly so I went from undergraduate then into PhD and I was a part of um, a a tremendous multidisciplinary team. Um, And I did my PhD out of uh, RJAH Orthopedic Hospital in in Oswestry. So um, at that time um, in my naivety, I thought that was the norm. So that's kind of started around about 99, 2000. Um, boy was I shocked when I left but you know we had the sports scientists that's myself another PhD student we had physiotherapists um, orthopedic surgeons professors in in sports medicine and rehabilitation all driving this service and it was just the best time really but it gave me a really really good insight into what's possible and psychologists as well when when we could uh, uh, bring those into consultations so from that point um, I then went on to But after finished the PhD, I had a break, (laughs) travelled, came back to academia um, and ended up at Nottingham Trent University and set up the, I guess, a sports medicine degree strand there. So looking at, broadly speaking, injuries, uh, rehabilitation, but not from the clinical perspective as, as you guys are doing, but from a neuromuscular perspective and understanding what's going on in terms of the conditioning or in what may influence injury susceptibility. Um, and then from there, I uh, led a collaboration. So all, all my, forgive me, all my research has always had a clinical emphasis. So if it hasn't been with clinical populations, it's been with healthy populations, and trying to break them, you know, some really nasty exercise stresses to understand how performance is impaired and whether that's got a bearing on on uh, potential injury susceptibility, which is always very difficult to ascertain. Um, and then from there, I led a collaboration in in Scotland. Um, so they um, based at the across two places, really. So uh, the Royal Infirmary, um, uh, of Edinburgh, so the trauma orthopedic department, but also integrating um, the uh, University of Edinburgh and Queen Margaret University. So, um, looking at ways to perhaps improve rehabilitation practice, but but really this this is where I got the excitement and um, passion to look at uh, osteoarthritis. And joint replacement patients because whilst what we were doing in sport was really important I felt um and quite leading if we look at what happened or if in my position I was looking at what was happening and being offered to those orthopedic patients those individuals that aren't sports athletes but yet still have got very much a need for strong reactive powerful musculature um, to Enhance the effects of surgery to recover from surgery as a proactive strategy. But yet, in terms of what was being delivered, it was, I felt we could make some absolutely massive changes with just some small tweaks in the way in which um, exercise was being delivered. So, a long, long <laughs> um, explanation of my career, but that's really kind of where it ended or the, the, the processes that, that kind of got me to where I am today, which is I left academia, but still have a research linkage with Oswestry. Um, I run now my my own company, which enables me to give to far more people information that I've procured and maybe even researched myself to individuals who are making the difference, like yourselves in, in, in physio, in rehab and in, in therapy. Um, And I'm I'm fortunate to do that um, across the world. Um, And in addition to that, we're we're also working now with the the NHS in in the the company called Joint Approach. And um, that started in Wales and really excited by by that and trying to integrate some of these these principles, these simple principles, but um, done very well to help manage that condition better and or prepare for, for surgery so uh, yeah that's from start to finish really
0: I mean that's Hopefully a, not finish
1: actually because that would you <laughs> know i finished now wouldn't it start to present present day
0: I mean that that's quite some career path Claire I mean it's it's really great to hear that and just like uh, that the involvement like you say early doors in the medical side of things and just uh, again understand, understand whereas most folk uh, I'd speak from experience in doing sports science myself would make that jump inside. So, oh, I want to work in, you know, pro sports and stuff. And I think it's taught you so much more being within the medical field though as well, just because it's one thing to work with the high end athlete, but it's completely different to work with people from a multitude of backgrounds and conditions as well. And how do these principles actually apply and how do you adapt them? Which is huge, absolutely huge. Um, I'd love to chat to you a little bit more, Claire and a bit about the, uh, the work you're doing with the NHS on the joint approach side of things but kicking off though as i say you first cropped up my radar from the strength condition standpoint of things and um, just because so within physiotherapy and the therapies as a whole just there's this big push suddenly coming up of just strength condition principles or excise uh, prescription principles being done to a higher level and um, where do you feel this has come from and you know why 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 now why is this sudden push come from
1: yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, hopefully, I've had a, a wee kind of part in that, that conversation, um, not, you know, kind of by any tremendous degree, but I've been banning this drum not for the past year, it's been for years, years and years and years through research mm-hmm. and through academic publications and through uh, teachings and also through, you know, kind of the, the blog and conferences and so it as with any, inverted commas, kind of overnight success of over any particular principle or,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or, um, uh, or business or whatever it is, you'll see it's like the duck on the water. There's been a lot of groundwork underneath <laughs> to bring it to here. So myself and, and many others who um, have, have been kind of beating this drum for a long while, I think it's now resonating that we cannot really ignore it. So when we're bringing together the, the research that's being um, done, particularly in, in the clinical populations or in therapeutic settings, it's quite now difficult to ignore that. So um, something that, that really has driven me in my teaching is drawing from the stuff that we know about in sport, in elite sport, in general exercise prescription, and putting that into rehab because Mm -hmm. that that was a a massive for me a massive gaping hole when i was purely purely in rehab and purely purely looking at those clinical populations and i will it's the same musculoskeletal system we still require the same performance demands from it albeit different relative levels but we still need to you know if we need to get stronger then why wouldn't we do a strength training intervention with them, why are we doing suboptimal loading? Why is load manipulation the first thing we think about when we've got a patient who's maybe in pain or symptomatic or has got a, um, uh, you know, has got a limited range, for example? Why, why, are we, why is load the first thing we, we manipulate and we mm-hmm. reduce? when actually that's the thing, if we think they need to get stronger, that's the last thing we should touch. I just, you know, it it took a while for me to kind of compute that and understand that and and really see after doing a couple of systematic reviews as well and evaluating that literature base, we didn't have that quality of, I wouldn't even say evidence, I'd say methodology in rehabilitation research or rehabilitation focused research. Um, So then, As myself and others have propagated this message about proper, you know, adhering to exercise, you know, principles of of exercise prescription, it's not, it's not, you know, rocket science. We can bring in some rocket science or some other (laughs) some scientific principles, but doing that basic stuff right will will by far accelerate your your opportunity to to make progression or your patients to make progression. So more and more people talking about this, integrating that more and more into the research, I think now. It's kind of reached that 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 point where, where i'm delighted that it's a it's a a topic of conversation and um it gives an option to a further option to to maybe enhance prescriptions um for for rehab prehab or whatever hub you want to talk about so it's, it, i think it's the volume of noise now about it we can't ignore
0: definitely definitely and I've, from what i've seen myself it's it's one of those things like the um, the traditional route of just the, the three by 10, three times a day sort of thing. And just like, how do you change that? Especially from uh, the aerobic condition side of things. I see from personal experience, that's been quite poorly di- um, prescribed as well. That, and how do you adjust for that from within clinicians as well? And obviously you've got first-hand experience from helping to educate a number of therapists as well now, Claire. So you know, we're talking about getting a sound understanding of principles within exercise also where, where do you see the biggest areas for development for a therapist is it um around principle based is it you know uh, having that exercise library of progressions and regressions the ability to coach it is it understands of periodization you know what where, where, where do you see the big gaps are
1: i think and i'm 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 hesitant to say uh big gaps and and, and pin that on therapists because mm-hmm it's, it's a really difficult job to stand in front of somebody and get somebody who's in pain to do something that you want them to do. (laughs) It's difficult. It requires a multitude of skill sets. So I don't ever, um, underestimate what that takes, but if there were some things that might, and if you're able to get that buy-in and you are able to kind of get your patient motivated to do some things, what are the things that would be most effective to do? Mm -hmm. Well, The first, you know, where's the biggest, I suppose, the bang for your buck, right? So what's, you know, where were you in your stage of career? So if you're right at the early stage, then we'll be looking at the very simple principles. And that's not even actually just for people at the early stage. I do it. It, You know, that's got to be the first port of call. There's no point in doing blood flow restriction training if you don't understand, you know, the the, the fundamentals of, of loading and adaptation. Because' you've, you've kind of missed the boat, there you've probably missed eighty percent of the chance to make a, a good adaptation. So the, the basic, understand what it is that you want to achieve and having that specificity. So we know that there isn't that elixir of uh, one exercise. that magic magic prescription of three sets of ten is not going to give you optimal benefits across a multitude of indices of performance. Now, maybe at the start, Of doing something novel you might make very very small changes in strength and power and cooking ability and stuff like that right but that soon is very soon is is plateaued um and we need to be more specific at that so your three sets of 10 might be great to get by in because easy to remember what you want them to do is come back and keep coming back the specificities what is it you want to change is it strength is it um sensory motor performance what is it then from that point understand how to load to elicit that that adaptation so this is the principles of training specificity mm-hmm. overload and then you get those two things right you'll progress fantastic yeah. but we need to account for that progression in your prescription that's the first thing and that if there's just one thing you take it's that um and then you know all the other things that you were just talking about there, periodization um uh i forgot what else you said but there's there's all sorts of different um principles from the strength and conditioning world that we can integrate um and i think just keep it simple yeah keep it really really simple get the basics right and then just start to layer on other things as you become interested in them as you become more comfortable and confident with them um and you start to kind of get a little bit more in terms of that bang for your buck, but but ultimately it starts with understanding what you want to change and how you can do that from a loading perspective or an exercise perspective. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, that's some great advice there. I think I've seen it happen uh, quite a lot in sport of people trying to get too fancy too quick without having the foundations firmly set within that, and it's just like well, what are you doing—you don't understand the basics to actually make your athlete jump that far ahead and haven't earned the right to progress to what i see is a more advanced training technique or modality sort of thing so I think that's huge. I think
1: there's probably a pressure there as well so I from maybe a couple of perspectives one may be there's a pressure from for time so we mm-hmm. know that obviously physios and particularly in NHS have got as much time as they want with patients.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can,
1: you know, like, a bit facetious here. So there's a pressure to make, you know, uh, changes quickly. There's possibly a pressure coming from the patients as well. You make me better quickly, I've got high expectations. Within sports, um, there might also be a pressure from maybe the, the individual's peers that may not be therapists, but may be aware of, of new, inverted commas, techniques new bits of kit you know why aren't you doing that why are you doing that why are you doing that and there can be you need a confidence in yourself to be able to just go no hold on I need to do the basics well and right mm-hmm. and that's gonna set me in good stead
0: definitely definitely I mean if if I had a pound for every time I'd had an athlete come in and say oh I've seen this on TikTok or Instagram this advanced modality can we do it and you just shake your head like no no let's go back to the basics let's not go into there <laughs> But well, obviously you're chatting around some, some of these principles here, Claire, and like, you know, just getting the basics in there. How are you taking that approach now with everything you've uh, developed and you've learned over your career into the work you're doing currently with the NHS with regards to the joint approach uh, programme?
1: So the it's a good question because we've got two challenges. One, it's home-based. So these, mm. these individuals, this particular... Uh, trial that I'm talking about now is for those individuals that have been waiting a long time for surgery so this is you know over over a year and think how long it takes to get onto so they've been waiting they're listed for um uh totally replacement but they've been listed for at least a year so many many more years than that obviously the COVID pandemic has has influenced the the uh, the wait times but if you just think about the normal process of getting onto a what is normal now i've got no idea but you know that the process of getting onto a waiting list they've they've had knee pain for a long time uh and they're conditioned into thinking that the joint replacement surgery is a thing for them so um and and it probably is but but we've got a lot of barriers to break down so the, the challenges we have one it's home-based so if you're in a gym you can probably have a very good chance of generating sufficient overload to to make those strength developments. So it's a strength-focused program. That's that's the the first thing to notice in terms of the exercise component. Um, Secondly, it's all online. So these individuals are 60 plus, um, some in the 70s, some in their 80s, um, and it's all delivered online. So it's scalable. It's not bound by geography. People don't have to travel to it. But there was a lot of skepticism about could we get older people uh, onto Zoom and, and onto you know onto uh, uh, an app and doing exercise. And um, so in terms that is is um, I'm, I'm safe, uh, sorry, not safe. I'm uh, happy to say the the skeptics are now eating their hats because it's it, it is you know it's not a problem for them. It's brilliant. You know the. uh, the classes are are great the live classes exercise videos etc they can that hasn't been an issue the the strength focused part of the exercise was a challenge for us um but we send out kit to them um and they can do it and it's it's home-based and the messages are around um how they need to work the musculature hard and we don't say that necessarily but you know it needs to feel really hard you need to feel like you can't do anymore when you get to this particular number um if you can what we suggest you do is next time increase the resistance so pick the black band for example Um, and um people are acued into thinking about that we also acknowledge that people have got sore knees so instead of modulating load as the first thing, okay, well, that's, that's really difficult. So let's just do a straight leg raise. What we do is tell people how to change the exercise so it limits the symptoms. So for example, isometric versus full range for a knee extension, for example, or limit range. So load is an option, but it's the last option on that list. We don't demonize it, but we promote the others but first and foremost for that. So um, yeah, and we're, <laughs> we're finding they are getting strong. These, these people are getting really, really strong. Um, so it's, it's, you, know, it's delight, you know, I'm delighted to see that and delighted to see the, the amazing results and how much better they're feeling and the pain's going down. And uh, it's important to say that there's a, a whole education package around what OA is and what's happening to their knee. positively focused and no kind of negative language in there and there's a whole component in the the psychology space as well we call it mindset Um, often seeing a psychologist can have a negative connotation so it's 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 getting people to understand their um things like their barriers their motivations um getting to set goals but also importantly planning um their activities around people that that celebrate what they're doing and heading to, you know, preparing them to leave to go to surgery. So where are they thinking that they're going to go, how they're planning to do um, or what kind of things are putting in, in progress in process Sorry for that. But yeah, it's um, it was a challenge, but um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm relieved. <laughs> uh, I thought it would work, but we've, we've managed to make it work. And it's um, it's it's exceeding expectations, to be honest with you.
0: That sounds fantastic, Claire. And I know it's, it's hard to get some of these programs off the ground and get them running, but once they do, they can be really fulfilling there. So just to touch on that a little bit. So what was it like? Did you have any teething problems initially starting off and what, what's it look like now with regards to delivery? How often are you delivering these online classes to this population group?
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. There were teething problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting up a, a digital service within in an NHS setting, I'm sure you can imagine that's fraught with, um, I won't say necessarily, say necessarily difficulties, but challenges. So we're absolutely aware of the need for data security, um, all sorts of consent, uh, multiple layers of consent, uh, but the, the challenge is not just to have that in place, but to make the thing exceptionally simple for the end user. So a lot of time has gone into one, making sure that we've got a robust, secure um, service. But two, you never anywhere. It's never more than two clicks to get anywhere. So you log on, and it's right there in front of you, whatever you need. Um, and as I said, the the live exercise classes, which honestly, it's better than watching Netflix. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's just, it's just brilliant. These these you know they're, they're so inspiring as well um, these these individuals and the progress that they've made but so some people get on with with a group setting which is really important for us to have which you can often lose in these kind of online programs you can lose that you lose that peer interaction and we make space for that prior to the classes and after the classes um, and then there's also a you know I personally don't Necessarily want to go to a class, but I'd engage in the exercise. So there's a whole stream of um, progressive videos um, that people can watch in their own time. Uh, and with the strength focus is also a, a balance um, a focus one as well. And there are progressions and regressions within each video as well uh, that take them through this 12 this week program. Um, so yeah, the, the challenges were. were challenging but we've we've done it and um the the team that we've got is is exceptional so it's it's definitely not all credit to me um so you know a lot of hard work has gone into it to make it simple (laughs) so um but yeah it's uh it's good to see the result
0: oh that's that's great claire thank you for sharing that and i think Like from a student's perspective or someone who's thinking about things like down the line, potentially in their career, that's just great to hear just about, you know, initial team problems or difficulties, but actually going through them and getting set up a service for patients that is just exceptional and help put them in a better place leading into surgery down the line, but also helping them manage with regards to their day to day currently as well, which is fantastic.
1: And I think what's really satisfying for us as well is that we can give something to those physios mm. that had nothing to give to the patients. Yeah. So these, you know, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people on the waiting list that have been on the waiting list and have had no contact for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been nothing there that, that, you know, we can, can give to people. We know that, that faceless um digital offerings go and watch this youtube video don't work we need engagement we need group cohesion we need um them to feel like it's important they need to feel looked after Um, and and as i said it was it was really nice to hear the feedback from the individuals that were recruiting to this program the physios that they felt good that they could give something to to these patients um, to help them with their, their knee pain and prepare for surgery so that's that's lovely to hear as well and and incidentally we've got quite a few now um inquiries and conversations around the um around england from that have been initiated from from therapists so can, i wonder if we could embed this in our service provision
0: yeah and i think that's that's fantastically saying just creating that buy-in rate from patients as well. And that group cohesion is just massive. So that's great to see And I mean, you should be very proud of yourself for getting something like that off the ground as well. So.
1: <laughs> it's a team effort, I'm, I'm proud of us all.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, obviously, uh, sorry to clarify, and you know, you first cropped up in my radar, so just the information you were putting out there and uh, the education package you've developed and put around there. So I was just wondering, could you just talk to us a little bit about just creating your education platform and, you know, generally, what, what's covered within it and how does it typically run
1: sure so it's getbacktosports.com um but it's not just sports it's mm. in, i think it came from um actually because my phone <laughs> my phone in my in my office when i was in academia was like every person ringing me up um this has happened to me what can i do and i'm like well I don't know. Before <laughs> I started falling <laughs> off my bike, but ultimately, people—the most—before I really started this as as a, a single entity, it was people's um, inability to get back to sport because that end stage stuff wasn't being done. Um, but the principles, as I said, they come from sport that are absolutely applicable across the board. From that elite athlete through to the individual, the older person who wants to walk on unstable ground mm-hmm. um, without, without knee pain. It's exactly the same. It's just the, the end goal is different. The approach is the same. So the education platform, so as, as I said, it's gets back to sport.com. There is a, a an S blog there. I've called it Strength and Conditioning. And my course is a label strength and conditioning because I think people have got a general understanding what strength and conditioning represents, um, or they've got an idea of what that is. And, and that's broadly encapsulated into, into the, the courses and all the, the, the posts that are right. Uh, if we called it exercise prescription, I think it would be a little bit boring. <laughs> people are <were> like, <laughs> oh, yawn. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a blog, strength and conditioning um, blog on there, which is, there's maybe 70 plus. Uh, Articles on strength and conditioning, how that relates to rehabilitation. So there's some nice to knows, but ultimately, what's really important for the the clinician is okay, that's good to know. How can I use that? So in each and every one of those posts, I aim to give that um, example or um, framework or dose or series of exercises how you can integrate that into rehabilitation so that's there all all free Um, and then in terms of the education platform that you can extend that study the the i guess the flagship course is strength and conditioning for therapists and that opens twice a year so that opens in uh february for a um february to march for a march commencement and then also in end of august to september for the september commencement And that's uh, a five module program, which runs over six weeks. But importantly, with anything that you do with me, you've got lifetime access. So I don't want to shut down the accounts and access. You know, you bought the the course, keep coming back to it, refresh your knowledge. And that has, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that we get, there's hundreds and hundreds of therapists that have done this from across the world. So each enrollment, we have something like 12 to 13 different countries and and you go through this program in your own pace, but also I do a live six week um, Q&A as well. So you get to come online and ask me questions as you're going through the program. You also go into the uh, a Facebook group as well, which, as I said, has got hundreds, and maybe nearly a thousand people now uh, of different. Um, occupations as well, but all have done this course. Uh, So it's a really nice uh, sharing network as well from peer to peer. And you can join any number of Q&A sessions via that as well for for years to come. Um, So it takes you through um, a six week process. Some can do it quicker, some do it take longer. It doesn't really matter, it's at your own uh, pace. And there's also an exercise library within that as well. So for every joint of the body or major joint of the body, uh, should I say, (laughs) uh, there is a library of resistance-based exercise um, that that people can refer to. And indeed we've just developed a share function as well. So you can send those to your patients or your clients as well. So that's um, something that I really look forward to doing every year. Um, and then there are in person courses that I run as well. So I can't remember how many we've got left for, for this year, but that's a usually a two day course over, over a weekend and how practically we can impl- implement this. Importantly, within the online course, actually as well, are practical tasks. So whilst I can't be there and do the practical with you, I set you up on how to go away and do it yourself so you can feel yeah. what it's like. <clears throat> Uh, and then, so there's in-person courses. Um, I'm just about to release a masterclass on something that's becoming a very hot topic, which is the cross-education effect. So train one limb and get the benefit in the other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, again, that my, as I was saying before, my passion is integrating stuff we know about in sport into, into rehab. So, we've just published a a randomized control trial on that in an ACL population. But again, I've been banging on about this for years and years. So I thought I would better do a course on it. So that's coming um, as a a masterclass. And then towards the next couple, end of couple of months time, there'll be another online course that's uh, focused principally on power. So the first one, Strength and Conditioning for Therapists, is all about strength you become you know, a strength ninja. And there's a good reason for that because it's so often overlooked, it's so often improperly um, prescribed as, as training, as rehab. And there's a lot of things to understand about that, but practically as well, it takes you through how to do that with patient populations. How can you, you know, there's maybe six, seven different strategies we give you or give you to change the way in which you pres- Prescribe exercise that does not involve changing the load. So you've got a multitude of things you can do before you even think about changing load. When you've got a patient in front of you who is in pain or has restricted range of motion or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, you, strength is the foundation, and then on top, then on top of that, we can start to think about hypertrophy, muscle cross-sectional area, uh, muscle power and rate of force development, the expression of force more quickly. That's you know once we've got the the fuel tank full of, of fuller of strength then we can learn how to express it more quickly and it becomes a more meaningful exercise.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand, agree with that. And I mean, the the setup and the, the delivery of the course, both online and face-to-face just sounds fantastic. And like I say, I've seen on social media, the the face-to-face courses you've been running everyone seems like they're having a great time They're learn a lot. Some are setting some nice PBs in there as well, which is always
1: good to see. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's always a bonus. There's, um, on the site, there's a, a, a free download. So if you pop your email address in, you'll get given or uh, sent a, a free strength and conditioning guide as applicable to, to rehab practice. But importantly, that puts you on the email list as well. So you'll get all the updates on uh, when the courses are but also you'll get sent directly to inbox any articles that I write and, and publish as well so that's a, an easy win as well so you know get your your um, yourself signed up onto that and uh, we'll send you some some information
0: that's great I'll make sure I'll put that link into our show notes as well Claire so folks can access that quick and easily uh obviously i said this at the start claire this podcast is primarily for physiotherapy students just to give them insights into different areas within the field and just the uh, absolute breadth of the field as well from your your background and your knowledge points if someone's wanted to learn a bit more around strength inside side things what would be your your best advice or best resources you could start pointing people towards
1: i'm going to say my blog <laughs> There's a reason for that because it depends how much you want to get into it. You can get really overwhelmed by it. There's a lot to know, a lot to retain in in physio. And what I don't want to do is make it complicated, impenetrable, inaccessible, and, and something you don't feel like you can apply to practice. So that for me, I set it up as a good starting point and you can ping out from there. You can do some of my courses. You can go and do a, a, a strength and condition focus qualification, or indeed you can then start to dig into some of the literature, which again, I, I provide for you. So start with that, have a look around and see what you start to get an interest in. And then, you know, go into you know the, the literature, go to the books, go to, you know, think about, um, if you want to upskill in that area there's a lot of a lot of places you can ping out to from from that but the first thing is I don't don't feel like it's just another thing that's massive this great opus of, of, of work that you have to get your head around um, it's simplified into exercise prescription to achieve your goals that's what it really is yeah. uh, and then there are many things many complexities that we can layer into that if we want to. Um, but again, within a rehab setting, those simple things applied properly will make absolutely tremendous differences. Now, if you're at the stage where you're dealing with uh, or let's say working in a multidisciplinary team and you've got a strength and conditioning uh, coach there, or indeed maybe you're acting as a strength and conditioning coach, so you end stage, return to sport and at that elite level, then those things become really important. Like, um, you know, how much strength is enough? How are you testing strength? Uh, power, how much power do people need? What, what about the force velocity curve? Um, what is it that they're getting back to be able, you know, needing to be able to do? What about accommodating force as well as producing force? All those things then become relevant and important. But for a, a regular rehabilitation setting, even with, for example, ACL populations, all of the, the, the simple things done effectively, again, will, will give you the, that best adaptation and the best chance of, of uh, getting that response. So start simple and then just do, do a PubMed search and, and looking to see what, what kind of papers are coming up. What's your area of interest? Email me. Get in touch with me. I'm happy or tweet me. I'm happy to you know, um, advise where to go or give you some papers or have a discussion even. And so. just 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 as well to to know others as well forgive me because it sounds like it's a climential show here it's definitely not there's obviously others in the area of exercise prescription and strength so you've got the likes of you know Adam and Meekins and Greg Lehman and uh, other individuals interestingly very few females in this space but um, <laughs> so, um go, go you know kind of use social media as well and, and kind of dip your toe in a little bit more
0: no Definitely. I mean, that's some fantastic advice there, Claire. And I mean, thank you very much for that. I mean, some great resources, great advice there, and I'll make sure I'll link all those into our show notes for anyone who wants to touch base into there as well. Um, obviously, Claire, it took us a little bit uh, to get linked up just with schedules and stuff like that, but as I said to you to start, good things come to those who wait. And I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. It's been an absolute blast. For anyone who's listening, you know, either wants, like I say, to reach out and get in touch with regards to either some questions or find out a little bit more about yourself or your courses, what's the best way they can do that?
1: Uh, so, um, and by the way, it's been lovely to talk to you as well. So thank you Thanks. for inviting me on and, and bearing with me. So uh, on Twitter, I'm quite active on Twitter, at Claire underscore Minshull. I'm also on Instagram, uh, Get Back to Sport. Um, and then there's the, the website, getbacktosport.com, and you probably find my email address on there or at least um, angela who who's in charge of uh, administration and stuff uh, but yeah reach out to me it will be uh, it'd be my pleasure to to be in touch with you
0: perfect once again claire you know thank you so much for taking the time to sit down chat me it's very much appreciated
1: absolutely my pleasure